Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. Hey, welcome into Downtown, the podcast, episode number 258. Rich Kimball here with Carrie Haskell. We're brought to you each and every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Two fine conversations for you this week uh, for people, I guess, primarily known for their musical prowess, but uh, both have talents that go way beyond that. A little bit later on, Kevin Griffin, the longtime lead singer of Better Than Ezra, talks with us about his new book, The Greatest Song, an interesting story behind it as well. Up first, a guy who has been entertaining us for, uh, well, six decades now, since he was a wee lad with his brother's on the Andy Williams show. He's had quite a ride, success on the charts with his brothers as a solo artist with his sister Marie. And then a dry period, about a decade, that uh, he calls the lost years before he bounced back with a big hit in the late 80s and has, has really never looked back. Successful tours on Broadway, film, television, with a number of different shows, uh, gosh, you name it, uh, reality shows, Game shows, talk shows. He won Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> Did very well on The Masked Singer. These days, he's got a smash hit show playing at Harrah's in Vegas and is getting ready to head out for a summer tour that will bring him to New England for a couple of stops in July. Waterbury, Connecticut and Beverly, Mass. Talking, of course, about Donny Osmond. We had a blast talking with him recently about the upcoming tour and his career. Rich. Hey there, Donny. By the way, I got to tell you, Richard Kimball, I, I love that name. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, The Fugitive. Not uh, not a year goes by when I'm not going through an airport somewhere and a guy says, oh, Richard Kimball, like that. And yep, my wife is fine, I, but I caught the one-armed man. <laughs> <laughs> you probably hear that all the time. So I just had to say it because it is one of my favorite movies of all time. I never get tired of it. Uh, we used to have uh, the late Eddie Money used to come on our show quite a bit, and he just yeah. gave up on Rich. It was fugitive. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I love it. Well, it's so great to talk with you. We've been trying to get you on the show for a, a long time. I'm, I'm glad we were able to finally connect. You're a busy guy. It is. You know, I thought, you know, in my 60s, I'm going to slow down a little bit. I've never worked harder in my life. Well, yeah, you've got a summer tour coming up. It begins July 18th in Watertown, Connecticut, and then another New England date, the 19th in Beverly, Mass. Now, uh, is this a version of the show that you did at Harris? This is our show. This, uh, I'm bringing Las Vegas to you guys. That is so, wonderful. Uh, yeah, because, you know, not, not everybody gets to go to Las Vegas. And uh, it, it, uh, so we bring Vegas to you, and uh, I, I'm bringing all the dancers, the band, the the effects, the video, the whole show, and uh, it's it's going to be a, a wild party. Last night was our reopening night, and it was absolutely crazy. In fact, I'm going to post about it here in a little while. Show some video of it. I love the fact that in, in this show uh, you really wanted to encapsulate your entire career, and so you feature music from all 65 of your albums, and it's uh, well, it's an audience choice, right? Yeah, that is correct. I call it the request segment. It took me a long time to figure out how to do this and make it work technically. And, and we have the technology now that we could do that. But uh, I, I started thinking when I put the show together, which album do I highlight? Yes, obviously, I want to play some stuff from the current 65th album. 
But what about all those other songs, the popular, the Go Away Little Girls, and you know, the One Bad Apple, all that kind of stuff that people want to hear because they want to hear the hits. So I put every album in there, and it's about a 15. I'll probably expand it to maybe 20-minute segment when I'm out on the road, but um, all the albums are on the screen. Anyone can pick any album, any song from any album, and we do it just like that. And it's fun for us because the show changes every night. I want to talk a little bit about the, the most recent album, number 65, a Start Again. You wrote or co-wrote every song on the album. And, man, it's terrific. Uh, a great groove on You Need Someone, uh, Don't Stop is Fabulous. I love the song you did with Charlie Wilson. <laughs> I tell you, singing a duet with Charlie Wilson was, uh, was a dream come true. I've always loved it. Especially, you know, after you dropped the bomb on me. <laughs> I love that song back when it came out. And uh, when you listen to that song, at the very, very end, you're going to hear him sing, Because you're turning me on. I said, you got to sing that line on this, this song. Yeah, I, I was in heaven producing him on this on the vocals. Oh, I'll so bet. He put that line in there. And, and the title cut, Start Again, man, that one just blew me away. Keep your head up, keep your heart strong. And just remember, you're not on your own. That sure sounds to me like the voice of experience. Yeah, it is uh, it is voice of experience. You know, it almost didn't make the album. I wrote over 40 songs for this record. It took me about three and a half years to make this record. And um, so it was a very difficult process to narrow it down to the 12 songs that I have on the album. And Start Again didn't make the cut. And then I went back, as just you just did, reread the lyrics, and I said, this has to be on the album. And it, not only was on the album, it became the title track. Well, it, it's absolutely terrific. Now, now going out on the road, uh, that's work for anybody. But I, I read uh, an interview where I, I think you said that uh, your priorities have changed a little bit. It's now, number one, will it work for your wife, Debbie? Will it work for your children? Will it work for your grandchildren? And, and then you come about fourth on the list. I do. That, that's my MO uh, in all my decisions that I make. Uh, this tour, yeah, it's going to be a lot of work, but uh, we're going to have a lot of family parties prior to me coming out on tour for these three weeks. But I just thought, and Deb, actually, Debbie's going to join me for some of the tour. So, but this is what I do. You know, this is what show business is all about. You can't just be isolated in one particular area all the time. You got to get out on the road. You got to perform. That's the life of an entertainer. And uh, I enjoy it. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's time consuming. And yes, it's laborious and arduous at times but when you get on stage especially with this this show rich it's uh because it's it's everything i've done in six decades of show business in a 90 minute show and there's there's a uh, a segment that i do it's called the rap segment and yes for those listening right now i do a rap uh, it's well. I it's, saw a clip of you doing the rap and oh you that's oh, okay uh, wow that is intense it's, it's more than intense. It's 10 minutes of, of just nothing but firing off everything I've done. And everything I talk about, you see visually as well. And it's so much fun for me because I watch the audience. And you see the faces like, oh, I remember that. And, oh, I, I totally forgot about that. And you remind people of the, the amount of things that I've done over six days, decades of show business, starting on the Andy Williams show at five years old to the current uh, things that I'm doing right now and everything in between. 
Well, I want to talk about those early days in a little bit. But before that, speaking of Debbie, a big day. I think it's next Monday, your 45th anniversary. It's next week. <laughs> next week is 45 years uh, we've been married. And uh, it's been it's been a wonderful journey. I found a wonderful woman to share my life with. Now, were there people close to you because you were you were a young guy when you got married? Were there people who said, yeah, but don't don't do that quite yet. Don't do it now. It, it might impact your career. All those screaming girls. Oh, it did. It completely impacted my career. But my career went into the toilet, as they say, after I got married because I was not that eligible bachelor anymore. But you know what? There comes a time in life where you have to do what you want to do as an individual. And, and I needed somebody in my life at that point in time. And it's like, you know, I was 20 when I got married. She was 19. And everybody thinks, well, you guys are so young. But consider the fact that I was a professional in show business at five. The amount of responsibility I had on my shoulders throughout my teens. So uh, I was ready. It, it's probably not ready. You know, some people may not be ready at, at that age. But I, we certainly were. And uh, I remember right after we got married, we, uh, we opened up in, in Las Vegas at the Hilton Hotel. And this is the day after we got married, we opened that, right? That's my honeymoon of all places. <laughs> and so during rehearsals uh, that day before opening night, the stagehand had the audacity to walk up to me in a joking way. He said, so you just got married. And I said, yep. He says, oh, I give that six months. Oh, and it was like, oh my goodness. So uh, we're the ones laughing now, not him. Yeah, 45 years. That's uh, the test of time. It certainly stood that. We're talking with Donny Osmond on downtown. Well, let's go back. Now, I think you were, what, three years old when you, you packed up, left uh, Ogden, Utah for L.A., left behind your home, your buddy Scott Bramwell, and then started a new life. Boy, boy, you've done your research, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I. Uh, that's when my life changed. I at three years old, I left that little sandbox. In fact, that moment, you actually see a, a video of me in that sandbox in the rap. It says, uh, I love my sandbox, but I like the beach. And I practice at home while my brothers cut their teeth as a barbershop court. You see, here I'm going into the rap. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's one of the so many moments in that rap. But yes, my life changed at three. Moved from Ogden, Utah with my family to Los Angeles, uh, the entertainment capital of the world. And, uh, and, and we started our show business career. And, uh, boy, it just never looked back. No, and it uh, it blew up. You and I are the same age. That uh, made it tough. You know, you're tough to compete with, Donnie. I'm going to tell you, it was not easy being a 13-year-old guy, you know, being awkward and goofy. And, and there you are hitting the top of the charts with Sweet and Innocent and Go Away, Little Girl. And puppy yeah. loved it. Was that level of fame, though, was it ever scary for you as a young guy? And you'd been around it for a decade by that point, but it, it still had to be a bit intimidating. You, you use the word scary. I wouldn't use the word scary. I was, it was so cool <laughs> to, <laughs> to, uh, to go through <clears throat> all of that, of those dynamics of screaming girls, uh, hit records, traveling the world. It was, it was a roller coaster ride like you can't believe. But as I've mentioned in the past, my life is an open book. Um, that lasts for only so long. And then that kind of a career, that teeny bopper career, comes to a screeching halt 
100 miles an hour down to zero overnight. And that was the time I had to start recreating myself. And uh, so, you know, went to the Donnie Marie show, became a television personality. And then when the Donnie Marie show ended, I mean, it was it dried up like crazy for nine years in the 80s. I tried to reinvent myself. And then Soldier of Love came out in 1989. The industry called it the comeback of the 80s. And I had worked so hard to get back on the charts. Soldier hit, Sacred Emotion hit. And then I make a weird turn. I go into theater. And everybody said, Donnie, you're crazy. You've worked so hard to get on the charts. But it's all about reinvention, Rich. Yeah, and it wasn't, it was, it was not just convincing the audience that you were different, but the industry itself, right? You're absolutely right. There's two, uh, two very important entities to convince the public, as you say, but the industry is a whole other animal in and of itself. And I had so many uh, supporters, closet performers, I'll probably I'll use that term. Uh, they say, oh, we love your voice, we love your voice. But in public, they were embarrassed to say they support Donnie Osmond. It happened on radio. And you went through it. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about because when Soldier Bluff came out, everybody was just a little afraid to say, we're playing Donnie Osmond music because it just wasn't cool at that time. So back in 1983... Uh, when just when Thriller was just about to come out, I said, Michael, um, how do we get back out on the charts? He told me something that offended me to no end. He said, Donnie, your name's Poison. you got to change your name. I thought, that's an insult. <laughs> but here's what happened. Michael Jackson was right. He knew exactly what was going to happen and should happen. And Soldier of Love became a hit in 1989 without my name. And I was a mystery artist. And that's what made the record work. Everybody loved the, loved the music. Then they found out it was me. And, and then, like I said, you know, everybody said, it's now working for you, Donnie. You got your recording career back. You're at the top of the charts. And I got, decided to go do theater with Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat and signed a six-month deal. It ended up being six years, and I finally said, I got to get rid of this loincloth and reinvent myself again. <laughs> so I'm giving you a taste of what this show is all about because it's just one thing after another. And even I, I even say this in the show so many different generations of people know me for different things. For instance, uh, Mulan. Um, right. A lot of people are surprised to find out that I'm Captain Shane in the Disney movie Mulan. We turned the theater into a Milan experience. We have the film, we got Disney's uh, permission to do all of this, um, and, and we do the stick fight dancing just like Captain Shang behind me on the huge screen. And some people know me from The Masked Singer. Little kids know me as the peacock. Um, <laughs> some people know me only from, from Joseph. And uh, some people know me from Dancing with the Stars. I mean, it's just so interesting to do this show from my perspective, let alone the audience's perspective. Well, it's been incredible, uh, this stretch of productivity you've had. I've really gone back to uh, the late 80s. Uh, do you mind, can we, can we go back a bit? Because I love the story, and I've, I've heard you tell it before, of when you found out about Soldier of Love. Was it Christmas of 88 when your manager said, hey, uh, New York City is going crazy for your song? That's exactly what happened. I was over in, in the UK. I'd released about four or five singles uh, on Virgin Records. Peter Gabriel was helping me out, and uh, Richard Branson signed me to Virgin, and 
and uh, with a little coercion from Peter Gabriel. And so he did, did him a favor, signed me. Nothing worked. Soldier of Love got up to, I think, 31 on the charts over there and fell off. So I came back to the U.S., Rich, Christmas of 1988, thinking, I've got to find another line of work because show business is not working. Even with Peter Gabriel's help, nothing is working. So uh, you can only imagine how depressed I was because really show business is all I know. So my manager at the time calls me, and it's just maybe a week or, or two before Christmas of 88. He said, I got some good news and some bad news. I said, I don't even want any bad news. <laughs> just please give me some good news. He said, you have the number one requested record in the number one market in the United States. I said, what? What could be bad? <laughs> he said, nobody knows it's you. <laughs> <laughs> and I immediately thought about Michael Jackson's comment to me, and I thought, this is brilliant. I've got a hit record, and, and, and nobody knows it's me, so marketing-wise, it's fantastic. So it was uh, PLJ in, in New York. Um, and they flew me in and, you know, the radio business, they, they built it up like crazy and we're going to disclose who this mystery artist is. It was Friday, I believe drive time. And I was kind of afraid to announce my name because I didn't want to kill the request. But back in those days, you remember the phones we had that, that lit up the mm. buttons that you hit and all the blinking lights. So big drum roll mystery artist. Who are you? And I said, I'm Donnie Osmond. Rich, those lines lit up like crazy. And radio stations all over the country wanted to do the same promotion. So I was flying all over the place doing P1, P2, P3 market. And that's how Soldier Bluff came back and put me back on the chart. Absolutely. Well, uh, and, and but that's nothing if you don't have a follow-up. And you came back with another strong release with Sacred Emotion that, that got you back in the top ten again. Well, that became one of the top videos on VH1, and but it was a completely different genre of music than Soldier Blood, which you know a lot of artists make that mistake. They they release the same type of thing that they had just released. They have a hit record. They say, well, there's the formula. Let's go for it. Let's do it again. No, 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 no. You don't do that. You keep reinventing. You keep coming out with something new, something the public doesn't expect. When they expect the right turn, I give them a left. And that's the secret. And, and that's what you see in the show. It's like, wow, he did this. And then, boom, he did that. And then, boom, he did that. All these different genres of not just music, but of different styles and different media, mediums of uh, Broadway, television, radio. I mean, you name it. Uh, not to be a jack of all trades, but to master each one of them. Well, you, you have worked so hard for this career. You've... Uh... You've sacrificed, you've battled back through what, what you've called the lost years. Does this success that you're having now, does it does it feel different because you're doing it completely on your terms? Boy, you really hit the nail on the head there. Um, yes, absolutely. But launching this show in Las Vegas at this point in time was a very risky thing. Here's why. And I guess as I look back in my career, I love to do risky things. But you're coming off, put your put your Feet in my shoes here for a second. You're coming off an amazingly successful run with your sister at the Flamingo for 11 years. Mm. It was the top-rated show. So now I decide to come back and do it on my own 
how, you know, how's that going to work? So I surrounded myself with the best people in the business. Uh, the band I have, unbelievable. The dancers, wait till you see these dancers. The production team is second to none. Raj Kapoor, who's like the most sought-after director in, and producer in Los Angeles, he helped me put this thing together. And uh, the lighting guy, he's the top in the business. Um, Tom Sutherland, he's just amazing. So, but that's still, there's still no guarantee. I threw millions of dollars at this show for the effects and the sounds, the lighting, the visuals, and, 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 the, and the video, and you just hope it works. And you just put your heart and soul into every single show. And it's working. We just, in fact, we just got, if you can believe this, the award for best production in Las Vegas. Do you know what that means? Do you know how many shows here in Las Vegas with amazing production? And we got the award for best production. Best headliner, best singer, best new new show. I'm sounding very egotistical. I apologize for that, but I'm so proud of this show. Well, and from what I hear, you should be. I was I was talking to a friend who said, "I you know, I saw it. I saw Donnie's show, and it was amazing. As he blew the doors off the place." Well, that's what I'm hoping people think. I mean, last night on reopening, I I see a lot of people out there saying, "Well, I've heard the reputation of this show. It's kind of like." All right, show me, prove it, kind of an attitude. <laughs> and I love it because I know what they're going to witness for the next 90 minutes. And by the time the show is over, it, the place is going crazy. It's just probably one, of, it's probably one of my favorite shows I've ever done in six decades. Well, you'll have a chance to see it yourself. Uh, the summer tour comes to New England July 18th, Watertown, Connecticut. July 19th in Beverly, Mass. You can check out the whole tour and more information at the easiest website in the world to find, Donnie.com. Donnie, it's been <laughs> wonderful to talk with you today. Happy anniversary and uh, good luck uh, with the show at Harris and out on tour this summer. Thank you, Judith. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> see you, Donnie. Bye. That's Donnie Osmond here on Downtown. We'll take a little break for a word from Cross Insurance and come back with singer and author Kevin Griffin next on Downtown. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Ezra, singer, songwriter, producer, and now author, as he's got a brand new book out called The Greatest Song. Interesting conversation with Kevin Griffin here on Downtown. Kevin, thank you so much for being with us. Rich, it's so good to be speaking with you. You know, you did leave off one important name in that co-songwriting list, Bangor, Maine's favorite son, Howie Day. 
Well, I was going to mention that because Howie. Oh, did I, did, was that a spoiler? Was that a spoiler? <laughs> I'm a uh, I'm a school teacher, and Howie's a former student of mine. Oh my God, I love that. I love that. Oh, yeah, you co-wrote uh, "Collide" with him. You produced an album that I thought was terrific. That that man should have had some hits in a just world. Be there. You know, uh, it, thank you so much. Be there is one of my favorite songs. That was the sound the alarm record. It was the follow up to stop everything, stop uh, everything now. And uh, you know, that's that's the record business though. Um, sometimes that crazy alchemy, that luck, is with you with a great album. Sometimes you put a great album together, and it, the luck isn't. You know, and in in the longer you're around, at least the longer I've been around, the more I'm I'm grateful for when I do have hits because I know how hard it is and how many things need to line up for that magic to happen. Absolutely. Well, uh, the book is is terrific. It is not at all what I expected. I didn't uh, you know I didn't read any reviews or anything going in. I wanted to to go in with a blank slate, and and I frankly thought it was going to be uh, a, a self-help book, a, a book about creativity, and, and it's all that, but in in the guise of fiction, and it's such a terrific read. Hey, Rich, thank you so much. You know, I started doing, about six years ago, uh, I started doing, I, I started speaking. I had a, I had a buddy, and I, I say this in the book, it's rare that anything good happens in a bar after 2 a.m., but this <laughs> one time... During Mardi Gras, I had ridden in a parade down at, at, at during Mardi Gras, and I was getting some late night food, and I ran into a buddy, and he was down in New Orleans with a group of, of people from Dallas, and he and he said they had just hired Malcolm Gladwell, you know, outliers, the tipping point, to speak for them. Would I want to ever speak for their group? And I was like, of course, because that's the way I that's the way I roll, Rich. I'm always like, I say yes first, and then I figure out how I'm going to do it. Um, but I, but I spoke to some people and I realized that the things that I've learned to do and had to do over my career, my life to stay successful and in a very fickle business like music, the, the things I do are the same things that anybody can do and, and that people do in different careers. So the cool thing was, I was like, wait a second, I'm in this career of music that people are drawn to and they find fascinating. I can couch these these practices, you know, these these steps that I do to stay inspired and creative, I can couch them in, you know, the world of music, and it will be compelling. So that was the speech, and then, as 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 so often happens, the speech turns into your agent saying, "You need to write a book. You need to you need to put this down." And and so I did. And and my favorite, um, my favorite types of books, you know, like business books, are are they're business parables. They tell a story. And during that story, which hopefully it's it's well written and it's compelling, you learn something, and that that was the uh, the genesis of the greatest song. Yeah, well, uh, so Jake Stark is he uh, is he a stand-in for you, or is he an amalgam of different people you've met in the business through the years? You know, I, I, yeah, the answer is yes to both those. <laughs> you know, um, you write what you know, and and you know, I say, and I'm very unabashed at saying that. Um, there's, you know, big parts of Jake that are me. Um, but really quickly in the book, it goes from, you know, what, what you could easily draw parallels um, to complete fiction and not me at all. And I actually, have you, do you know Bobby Bones? He's a big radio person. I sure do, yeah. Yeah. 
Bobby, I was uh, I was hanging out with him and I was doing his podcast, and he was like, "So you wrote a uh, a fiction book? Uh, the the protagonist is a, a singer. He was big in the nineties. Had a hit. This is just you, Kevin." I was like, "No, it's not." I was like, "You know, there's a there's a very famous author, Bobby, and uh, his name is Stephen King, and every one of his protagonists is a writer living in Maine." And uh, and he was like, you've got a good point there. And now I realize I'm speaking to uh, you and me. <laughs> and but, Stephen you know, King owns our station. Uh, he does not. <laughs> yes, he does. Oh my God! <laughs> but you know, you know, you, you write what you know, and 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 so I started with you know with with some, something that was very familiar to with me, and then dramatic license t- took over and i was off to the races i love the fact i'm a huge harry nielsen fan i love the fact that that everybody's talking plays a, a huge role in the story and, and oh, yeah. also because of the the ironic twist which is uh, the song that most people know harry for is a song that fred neal wrote he didn't and uh and often the biggest songs that he wrote were hits for other people isn't that interesting um, but, but that's so often the case that, you know, he was the con- – Harry Nielsen was the consummate songwriter, um, beautiful songs, um, yet his biggest song was a cover. And so many covers, you know, uh, songs that artists didn't write are the ones that broke them, you know, and, and opened all those doors. Um, I love that song. And one of the things I want to do – I wanted, one, of the, one of the steps in the book or one of the practices I do is just – is um, is I call it changing your attitude, which is approaching something uh, from a different angle. Um, and, and the attitude I use the attitude as it's used in aviation, and mm. an attitude is your angle of approach when you land. So when your normal of an angle of approach isn't working, how do you change it up? So I love that um, the answer, like so many things in life, was right underneath um, Jake Stark's nose the whole time. It was the song he listened to every morning that was going to take a new song and give it some spice and something different by incorporating a loop of an old classic song like everybody's talking. We're talking with Kevin Griffin here on Downtown. His new book is called The Greatest Song. So I wouldn't want to give away too much because I want people to read the book. But Jake has been, uh, after much success, cut loose by the publishing company he's been with for many years. He, he's adrift for a while and then gets the opportunity to meet uh, with a, a young entrepreneur Sir Kid, who uh, leads him off in a new direction, and he discovers what's called in the book The Method, which is essentially your steps for success, particularly in the world of collaboration. Absolutely. You know, um, I wrote all the early in my career, I wrote all the songs in Better Than Ezra, those three albums that people know good and desperately wanting and, and at, at the stars. And then I got dropped seven short years after starting music, I I was dropped. And in 2003, I was out at a studio in Los Angeles. And better than ever, we were making an album on our own. Um, We were in Studio B of this famous place called Conway Studios. And in Studio A was Justin Timberlake making his first album. And Rich in Studio C was none other than iconic rock legend, star or actor in Fight Club, actor in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, none other than Meatloaf. <laughs> and Meatloaf's manager, Alan Kovac, a famous guy, he managed Blondie, Meatloaf, the Bee Gees. He came in one morning and said, Kevin, Meat heard one of your songs. He wants you to collaborate. 
And I had never collaborated, and my, my gut instinct was just to say uh, no and make up an excuse. But then I was like, look, what do you got to lose? You've been dropped. And my dad always would tell me, Kevin, nothing changes if nothing changes. So I was like, okay, I'll collaborate with you. Two hours later, I wrote a song that was seven minutes long with, with, with meatloaf, and it was the coolest, most fun experience I'd ever had writing. It, it became a hit outside the United States. But that opened my eyes to collaboration, and that's the bedrock for what changed my life, not only when I'm writing songs with other people collaborating, but, but when I'm doing other kind of business endeavors, you know, collaborating. And then there's rules that go into that, how to be a successful collaborator, and, and then everything everything is a springboard from collaboration. Well, and I love uh, the term that uh, Jake hears in the book, my ego is not my amigo. Sometimes you got to get out of the way and let those collaborators take the lead. You know, you're right. That, that's the hardest. So, so many things in life, in business, but in your relationships can be, and your friendships can be solved by checking your ego. And there's a character in the book. His name's Shane Sawyer, and he talks like Sam Elliott. <laughs> and he he tells Jake, he says, Jake, my ego is not my amigo. And uh, and when I check my ego and under the assumption, you know, and the truth that I'm surrounded by talented people, listen and let them do what they do best, whether it's my, you know, my co-writers, honestly, my family members and I listen, that's when I write hit songs. That's when life gets really fun and good. Um, so there's a there's a theme that goes through this book about checking your ego and listening and, uh, you know, despite our best intentions so often in life, we're, we're all micromanagers who try to control everything. But when we let go of that, you know, um, that's when magic happens. I love the, the step called filling the well, finding inspiration, oh, yeah. staying in touch with what's going on out there. And, and what I think for a lot of people might be the most challenging part, embracing the success of your competition. Oh, yeah. Well, look, the, the, the first thing is, you know, is, uh, is whatever that that endeavor, that thing you do is, is staying in touch with, in, with knowing the business of your business. I think, uh, you know, I think that's how I put it, is there's no shortage of podcasts, of books, of radio shows, of, of so many – there's so much uh, out there to know what's happening in your business because the people who crush in business, whatever it is you do, are the people who can connect the dots from an idea – to the finish line. How do you get it there? You know, so I, I talk about that a lot in the book. Um, and one of the examples is that is the most successful people I know in, uh, in business are the ones who embrace the success of your of their competition. Now, the, the first, the gut instinct is if somebody, your competition's doing something great, you're like, ah, oh, oh, it's terrible. It's lame. They ripped me off. Um, and you, and you want to turn your back on it. And, and, but, but when you, when you actually turn around and say, wait a second, they're actually doing something really awesome. That's when, again, that's when you get great ideas. And and I have a friend. He lives down in New Orleans. His name is Robert LeBlanc. He is from uh, Homo, Louisiana. He is a he is a Cajun, and he is a James. He has several restaurants in New Orleans. I was I just ate at at ate at one this past Saturday night. I was down there for Jazz Fest. And if he's not in his restaurant, sweating it out in the kitchen or, or greeting people at the door, he's at his competition, checking out what they're doing, learning from them. You know, I went to I went and saw Taylor Swift last night at Nissan Stadium in the pouring rain. You know, and I'm a fan, but I was like, oh, I, there's nothing to learn. But I saw her do some things, and you know, just good stage banner, fun things. I was like, huh, I'm going to take that into a better than Ezra show. 
So just putting yourself out there, keeping the antennas out, um, it keeps you nimble. It keeps you inspired because that's that's what filling the well is. You know, when, when you're young, you're full of inspiration. But as you get older, you, it can't be a passive exercise. You've got to go out and seek inspiration. And, and this book gives you some of those tools. Well, and you talk about the, the tough thing, especially when you've had success of getting out of your comfort zone, but how that's really the path to growing your self-confidence. Every time um, I've been out of my comfort zone, um, you know, that and when I'm a little off balance, when life is in flux, when I'm having to think on my feet, that's when I come up with great ideas. Um, and in the book, uh, Jake's dark protagonist has to write a song um, out on a pontoon boat with a bunch of crazy people, and he's 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 not he's not wearing something that makes him comfortable. That's all. I'll say. Um, but but look, when you leave your comfort zone, that's when you enter growth zones. And it, you know, I started when we first started talking. I was, I was telling you about how I started doing those speeches. The second speech I ever did was for a very was a group from Live Nation. And on stage, when I was, I had never had a panic attack in my life. I was on stage and I had a panic attack, and and I had to stop the speech and say, "Wow, I don't know what's happening." You know, and I, I caught my breath and I kind of worked through it. And somebody said, you can do it. And I finished the speech and I ended up getting some work because of that, just being, I guess, being vulnerable. But when I got back to my hotel, I was in Dallas. I'd done the speech. I was like, I'm never, ever doing that ever again. Stick to what you're good at. Play your guitar and sing your songs. <laughs> but a few days later, I was like, no, you're going to do it again. And you're going to you're going to fight through that and you're going to learn how to figure it out. And so many things, look, I wouldn't be talking to you if I had stopped because I was leaving my comfort zone. So it looks, and I did, and you get to a point, Rich, you know, this, that you want to, you want to do stuff that has purpose. And so, um, I, I wanted to share in this book, the things that have worked for me and for others that I, that I read about it. And cause I'm, it's an omnivore. I read all the time. Um, and I wanted to share that. And, uh, and put it out there. Well, and, and especially in the creative realm, Kelvin, uh, Kevin, I love this idea. Dare to be stupid. Uh, don't second guess yeah. yourself. Get rid of the filter and just have some fun. You know, um, I saved that to the end. And, and that is, that is a, uh, one of the practices that, that's uh, shown to Jake, our protagonist, by a, a certified genius. And his name is Daniel Smith Daniels. And yes, <laughs> in the audible, in the audiobook version, I voiced all the characters, and I had so much fun doing it. But it comes it, – it's really the idea that um, – and it's its actually a quote I use. It's from a famous educator. Um, his name, he was actually a sir as well, Sir Kenneth uh, Robinson. He had the biggest um, TED Talk, uh, the most one of the most watched TED Talks ever. And he said that you'll never come up with anything truly groundbreaking unless you're prepared to fail. And the people I know in the music business or in, or in any business are the ones – that put themselves out there and they come up with big ideas um, and they're not afraid to fail and they create an environment when they're working where big ideas are, are encouraged and failure isn't stigmatized. And every time um, I'm with, there's a writer here in Nashville and I just saw him last week. I wrote with him. His name's JT Harding. He's written huge songs for Eric Church, um, uh, Keith Urban, um, he has no filter, and he just starts throwing out crazy ideas. And if he second-guessed himself, and he, if he didn't dare to be stupid or, or I, sometimes I say dare to suck, you know, put yourself out there. 
if he if he ever was scared about that, he would have no career. And um, so, you know, I like using it in kind of a funny way, dare to be stupid, because at first you're like, wait, huh? But it's <laughs> when you put your when you dare to put yourself out there and be vulnerable with a big idea and, and don't say, well, this may sound stupid, you know, or sit on your hands when you put yourself out there. That's when um, that's when you save the day with a great idea. Well, the book is wonderful. It's called The Greatest Song, and, and it really does work on two levels. It's just a, a wonderful read. You get caught up in uh, Jake and the other terrific characters that you meet along the way. I found myself wondering, okay, who's who's Kevin modeling this guy? Or who, who might this be? Mm. Uh, but that's wonderful. And then you get all this great advice that, that certainly is applicable in the world of music, but can be... Uh, can be useful, I think, in any endeavor you're in. It's a great way to live your life and change the way you do things and, and opens your eyes to a, a new worldview, and it's just terrific. Oh, brother, thank you so much for that. You know what I realized, my big aha moment, um, when I was when I was starting to do this speech and just kind of reading about, because uh, at the same time, you know, I, you know, like I said, I'd been dropped from, I'd been dropped from my label. You know, um, I realized that, wow, how I conduct myself in business when I'm doing that right, uh, it's very similar to how I should conduct myself in my life and, and with my friendships and my relationship with my wife, with my kids. When I listen, when I collaborate, when I leave my comfort zone, when I when I try to approach things that are challenging from a different angle, um, man, that's that's when life just gets imminently better. And uh, and I had a blast writing it. You know, also, Rich. The, in the book, there are five songs written, and, you know, it's a fiction book, but I decided, wouldn't it be cool if we actually wrote these songs? So you can go on, you can, you guys can play them, or you can go on any streaming platform, check out the songs. It's the, it's the greatest song soundtrack, original soundtrack. You could listen to the songs. They're also in the audio version of the book. Also, August 18th, right here in Bangor, Maine, at the Maine Savings Amphitheater, Better Than Ezra, along with Train. I'm so fired up about that show. I love Banger. Uh, you know, I, I got to know it when I was writing and working a lot with Howie um, around 2006, 2007. I love it up there. I spend, I've gone summers up there uh, to Ball Harbor and Cadillac Mountain, and I love the whole area. I love Maine. So I can't – and that's actually the last show of the tour, and we're going to kind of take our, our – um, our time with our kids and uh, meander back down to Nashville. Well, that's wonderful. Well, I'm uh, looking forward to seeing you when you're here. The book is The Greatest Song. It's a wonderful read. Kevin, thank you so much. Congratulations on a terrific work, and we wish you uh, much continued success. Rich, can I uh, continued success with Downtown, and uh, thanks for having me. That's Kevin Griffin talking about his book, The Greatest Song. Our thanks to Kevin, thanks to Donny Osmond, and to you for being with us. On this week's Downtown the Podcast, for Carrie Haskell, I'm Rich Kimball, and we'll see you next time on Downtown.